your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. So we continue our study of the doctor's cure and uh, our Dr. Luke. It's really not his cure, but it's his Savior's cure. There was a missionary family that was sitting in a service in rural Kentucky one Sunday evening. And uh, they had seated next to them a young lady who had come to Christ um, out of Islam. And it was, uh, it was a part of the service that evening was a baptismal service. There was an entire family in the community had come to faith in Christ. And they were baptizing that family that night. And the missionary family sitting there was realizing that the young lady next to them was becoming increasingly uncomfortable and fidgeting. And, and they knew that her background would have been that wasn't customary for her to be in a worship setting with mixed genders, men and women. Um, and so the woman leaned over and said, do you need, to, should we step out? Do you need a, a break from this? Uh, asked her if this was bothering her because of men and women being together in a worship service. She said, no, she said, she said, I'm, I'm just, I, I never thought I would see this. All these people are being baptized and no one's going to be beaten. No one's going to be imprisoned. No one's going to be threatened. No one's going to be tortured. No one's going to be killed. I never thought I would see a miracle like this. Now, we're going to have a baptism next month on a Friday evening, March 17th. And for American Christians, baptism can, can be a little bit like a, a coming out party. You know, it's, it's some sort of coming of age ceremony. It, it might be a little like graduation or you know, a junior formal or prom or um, getting a driver's license. But for many people around the world to declare publicly your affiliation with and service to Jesus Christ is to become a target, is to become deplorable, it is to become a threat, it is to become an ex-employee, it is to become a former member of the family. And the question that we should ask is, why would a little bit of water cause all this kind of consternation confusion, anger, and fury in people when it comes to, to baptism. So we're going to read a couple of verses this morning. The title of my message is Baptizing God, question mark, because we're going to see Jesus get baptized. Now that's kind of confusing when we think about some of the implications or the portrayals that baptism uh, provides. Uh, we're going to talk about the three different things this morning. We're going to talk about the baptism of John, because after all, it's John that baptizes Jesus. We're going to talk about the baptism of Jesus, and we're going to talk about how neither of those baptisms are Christian baptisms, really, in the fullest sense of the word. And then we're going to talk about Christian baptism, and either your baptism that you've already had, if you're a Christian, or one that you should have. And if you're not a Christian, uh, why, what, what's the purpose of baptism? if and when you cross that line of faith. So let me read these couple of verses in Luke 3, verses 21 and 22, and then I'll pray for us and we'll dive in. Luke 3, 
21 and 22. One day, when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit, in bodily form, descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. And Father, for these minutes, as we talk about baptism, I pray for the kind of insight that really the, only the Word of God and the Spirit of God can give us. This seems so otherworldish compared to our um, eight to five jobs, uh, compared to um, our children's uh, basketball games or field hockey games, uh, compared to the television shows that uh, we're going to watch tonight or uh, compared to the financial problems we had. This just, this just seems out there. Why, why do people get all wet and what's its significance? And so I, I pray for an insight that only you can provide. I pray not only for insight, I pray not only for understanding, but for delight in and appreciation for the symbolism that is depicted and portrayed in, in uh, baptism. And we do pray for brothers and sisters around the world for whom baptism is an, um, an all-in thing. It's a clean break with the past, perhaps with a former faith, former religion, a former God. It's, it's even a clean break from family that they love, maybe a job that they enjoy, maybe a clean break with their culture and even their nation state. And for whom saying, I'm ready to be baptized is to say, I'm ready to w risk everything for Jesus Christ. We pray for their faithfulness, even as we pray for our appre deeper appreciation of what baptism symbolizes. We pray against the enemy of our souls who hates you. He hates us. He hates all you do. He hates all you plan and purpose. And pray that you would muzzle and tie him this morning for Jesus' sake. Amen. John's baptism, we started talking about this last week as John is going up and down the Jordan River banks baptizing people. John's baptism was not a Christian baptism. We know this if we go to Acts chapter 19 and Paul uh, bumps into some um, people who are um, followers of Jesus at, um, at Ephesus. And in talking with them, he asks them if they have, <clears throat> excuse me, if they have uh, been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they go, no, we, we didn't even know there was uh, uh, something like a Holy Spirit. And he says, well, when you were baptized, what baptism did you receive? And they said, well, we, we received John's baptism. And Paul basically goes on to say, well, that's not a Christian baptism. He said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And if we remember uh, what we looked at last week in verse 3 of chapter 3, and says John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Now that's still part of Christian baptism, but that's not all that Christian baptism is. Repentance, and we talked about that last week, but it's now repentance for the forgiveness of sins and the trust in Jesus to be the provider of that forgiveness of sins. And so um, there was, it, John's baptism was kind of a start 
toward a Christian baptism, but because Jesus had not yet uh, been crucified, he had not been raised from the dead, he had not be, had ascended back to the Father, it really was not a Christian baptism as we speak of today. Now, it nonetheless contained elements of the baptisms that we're going to do next, next month. Two things. One, an initiation into the life of Christ or initiation into a new life. And second, this idea of cleansing. Now, it had to be surprising to John to have these people who are coming to him for baptism 2,000 years ago because Jewish people just didn't do this. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to follow the God of the Jews, you wanted to follow Yahweh, you could do that, but you had to go through a water baptism that was your rite of initiation because Jewish people looked at Gentiles as extremely, extraordinarily, and especially sinful, far more sinful than they saw themselves. Now, this was a flaw on their part, but just to help you understand that they saw themselves as morally superior in God's eyes, and, and when we come to Gentiles, though, you guys are kind of bottom of the barrel scrapers, and so we have to clean you up. We have to cleanse you. And so for the Jewish people to come to John and be baptized was a curious thing. It, 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 sh it showed that John's intent to be this forerunner to Christ and to kind of lay out the moral landscape, prepare a moral road, an ethical road for Jesus to come in on was working. They're coming to saying, okay, I guess I do need baptism. I guess I am a sinner. I guess I am a problem before God. I'm not right before him because of my uh, performance. And so they are, they are coming for this rite of initiation. And we still have that today in Christian baptism. It's a rite of initiation. It's kind of the, your first step. I'm going to, if you're a Christian and you've never been baptized since you came to faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to push you later this morning about considering baptism because it really is the initial, it's the initial step of obedience for the Christian. Now, the second piece of John's baptism was that water is a, is a cleansing feature. Uh, if you got up this morning and, and took a shower, you did that to clean off the dirt off your body and to make sure that when you come and you sit next to people here at Keystone, you smell good for them and hopefully they smell good for you. It's a cleaning thing. We clean our body with water. Now, it's ceremonial. You remember Peter when he wants Jesus to wash him all over, not just my feet, and Jesus says, no, no, it's, 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 it's ceremonial. Wash your feet and you're, you're clean all over. But it is a picture of this purifying, this cleansing that only Jesus Christ can do. It was a, for John's baptism, it was a preparatory picture for the people to understand that God, God is the one. He provides the water and he provides the cleansing, the new, the new life. Now, let me just say um, this about how we baptize here at Keystone. Depending on your background, if you have been part of a church, uh, you might have done baptisms different uh, than we do. You might have done them at a different age and stage than we do. Here at Keystone, we baptize by full immersion. Now, some groups, if you're part of Reformed, Presbyterian, um, United Methodist, Catholic Church, it might do baptisms on infants and little children. We don't do that here. We baptize by full immersion uh, upon profession of faith. Now, there's a couple of reasons we do that. One, the very word baptizo, baptize, means to be put under. Even John Calvin, who's 
um, descendants, spiritual descendants, baptize infants with just sprinkling water, admitted that the word means to be completely immersed. And we think that's what John was doing. We think that's what the early church did, full immersion. Now, it doesn't mean that we think that if you haven't been baptized that way, that it's not right or that you won't go to heaven. We don't think baptism gets you to heaven anyway. But we do think that we want to show the full picture that the scripture does about the um, um, impact of baptism. If you've been around Keystone long enough, you know that about, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, I was rebaptized. I grew up in the Mennonite church. And Mennonite church, when you get baptized, uh, pastor takes a little pitcher of water about this big and you stand in front of the church and they pour water over the top of your head. Uh, again, some of these churches, they'll just sprinkle a little bit water either on the infant or if it's a, an adult, just sprinkle a little bit uh, on the top of them. What was happening for me <clears throat> as I was teaching on baptism every time we had a baptismal celebration, I would be teaching out of Romans 6, 2 and 3 that talks about <clears throat> excuse me, that in baptism, we are joined together in the symbolic sense with Jesus Christ this way. We are dead with Christ, we are buried with Christ, and then we are raised to life with Christ. You see the picture there of immersion baptism? When we immerse someone in water, we put them down in the water as if they're dead and buried, and then we bring them up out of the water as if they've been resurrected. And so I was preaching that all the time, and I'm like, I, I never portrayed that. I never showed that in my baptism. The other reason I got rebaptized is because I don't think I was saved when I got baptized. That's kind of a big deal to me. And uh, so I did get rebaptized. But that's how we baptize here. Um, we don't require baptism for church membership. That doesn't mean we don't think it's important. We just don't want that to be kind of a, 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 kind of a st stumbling block. So we baptize by full immersion here, and we baptize you upon confession of faith. It may follow immediately. It may follow later. One of the things that I, I think the New Testament is clear on, it never intended for Christians, people come to Christ, to get baptized 20 years later. This is really portrayed as an initial step of obedience. And so I'm going to beat that drum a little bit harder this morning as we go on. Now let's look at this curious thing of Jesus, the Son of God, getting baptized. And I want to take you back to uh, Matthew chapter 3. Brother, I think I gave you the wrong text, at least according to my notes, it says Mark, and that's wrong. So you're probably not going to have this up on the board. So look in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 3, <clears throat> beginning of verse 13. This gives us a little more information on Jesus' baptism. And... Uh, I think it's kind of interesting. Jesus, verse 13, then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. So it wasn't like Jesus kind of wandered into the event and said, oh, they're baptizing here. I think I'll get baptized too. He came for this purpose. And John tries to talk him out of it. Like, yeah, who wouldn't? John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? Now, it's interesting, uh, the few details that we have in the New Testament about John the Baptist, he, he went back and forth, waffled back and forth between thinking Jesus is the Messiah and wondering, are you the Messiah? Remember what we read last week, people said to John, are you the Messiah? And No, I'm not the Messiah. That, he, he's coming later. I, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. 
But then there were later, later when John gets thrown into prison, he, Jesus is not quite doing what he anticipated the Messiah would do. And so he says, sends runners to Jesus and said, are you the one we were waiting for or should we be looking for someone else? So John's kind of ambivalent. It goes back and forth. But he hasn't, he's been told by God, he has this message to be this forerunner for the Messiah. And so at this day, when he's looking at Jesus wanting to be baptized, he doesn't get it. The Messiah is God's messenger. He's the messengers of messenger. Now, John probably didn't grasp that he was actually God come in the flesh yet, but he knew there was something very significant and very superior about Jesus over and against him. And so he can't understand why Jesus wants him to baptize him. Why? Because the message that he's been giving in baptism is you're doing this for the repentance and the forgiveness of sins. He doesn't know that Jesus has any of that yet, any need for that. And we know from Scripture that he doesn't. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And so he's, what he is questioning Jesus about here is thoroughly legitimate. But Jesus says this, it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. And so John agreed to baptize him. Now, depending on your translation, it may well say, and this is the original text, we should do this, Jesus says, to fulfill all righteousness. Now, that's accurate, but I think the NLT has done a wonderful job to help us understand what Jesus means. The danger with with reading to fulfill all righteousness is that Jesus had some sort of shortcoming when it came to righteousness that baptism is going to complete. We must do this to fulfill all righteousness. No, what he's actually saying, it needs to be done because God has certain requirements that are going to be manifested or maybe highlighted in me getting baptized. And I want to take you back to Isaiah chapter 53 to help flesh that out a bit. Isaiah 53 is this magnificent chapter, talks about the future suffering servant. It's predicting Jesus' life, death, torture, 700 years before it happens. Isaiah 53. By the way, uh, interesting conversation to have sometime with uh, someone who's Jewish. Uh, There are a lot of Christians that look at um, Isaiah 53 and say, how could a Jewish person not see Jesus in that? Um, and, and you ask a Jewish person, do you believe Isaiah 53? They'll say, of course I believe Isaiah 53. And they say, well, what do you believe about Isaiah 53? And their um, description will be far different than your understanding of it. So don't, uh, don't kind of blow Jewish people out of the water because uh, of Isaiah 53 and say, if you had a brain in your head, you would get Jesus there. No. You have to understand that we have the New Testament and the New Testament interprets the Old Testament and gives us an understanding that those who do not accept the New Testament just don't have. Verse 12, uh, God is speaking about this coming Messiah and says, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. Then he says, he was counted among the rebels. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. 
The reason Jesus got baptized was not in any sense to repent of his own sins, for he had none. But it was rather to come and identify with you and me, the sinners whose sin he was going to bear upon his own shoulders on the cross one day. What Jesus was asked to do by his father is almost infathomable to us. That this pristine, undamaged, untarnished, unblemished, perfectly clean being would come and need cleansed. No, no, no. Doesn't need cleansed. But would come and be willingly cleansed in this picture of baptism because he is bearing upon himself the filth and the dirt that marks you and I. Unfathomable. Sometimes I think about the Sometimes I think about people that, do you have people that you don't want to be around? You just don't like the way they are. You don't like their attitude. You don't like how they talk. You don't like how they think about other people. You don't like their pride. You don't like uh, the way they um, think they're all that because they're well off. You don't like the way they talk down to other people. You ever think about how, and, and we're sinful and we don't like certain other people. Do you ever think about how Jesus came into a world where everybody was like that to him? Where he was so strikingly different from everyone that he came among. And yet he willingly, in accordance with the Father's wishes, identified with the proud, the filthy, the rebellious, the potty mouth, the arrogant, um, those who mistreat others, the criminals. He identified with every one of us, and he did so willingly. Man, there's a lesson for me in that. I would rather not be with this person. I'd rather not be with this kind of person. I'd rather not. And Jesus says, give them all to me. The language of the Statue of Liberty was his language. Give them all to me. Identification. Jesus didn't get baptized because he needed some sort of cleansing from sin. He came because he was going to identify with us and ultimately not just identify with our sin, but be sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that then he could turn around and give us his righteousness. Now back to our verses in Luke 3. <clears throat> Read again verse 22. Uh, the end of 21, as Jesus was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove and a voice from heaven said, you're my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there to see that? I, I don't know if it actually was shaped like a dove or if it fluttered and gave that appearance, but there was clearly that witnesses could see something. It wasn't just uh, the idea of something appearing. They, they saw something visibly appear and descend upon him. 
And then this voice out of heaven, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. This is God's divine endorsement of his son as his ambassador to the world and that he is happy with him. He brings him great joy. This is a beautiful picture there, a little bit anyway, of the the joy that the Trinity brings one another, how the Son brings the Father joy, the Spirit brings the Son joy, Son brings the Spirit and the Father joy. Mutual joy. Sometimes you'll hear that um, God created the world because he was lonely. He needed people to share. No, no, no. The Father was absolutely fully satiated and satisfied with the fellowship that he had with the Son and the Spirit and vice versa. Didn't need, he created us not because he needed to, he created us because he wanted to. Now, so John's baptism, Jesus' baptism, not a Christian baptism. Let's talk about Christian baptism. And let me take you back to Acts chapter 2, Peter's great sermon on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2 verse 38 And it's just kind of set the scene here for us. Pentecost has happened. This this was uh, originally a Jewish celebration. So Jews from literally all over the world are in Jerusalem to celebrate this feast, Pentecost. And so they speak all different languages. And if you remember the story, 120 Christians are gathered together. They're praising, worshiping God, praying. And the Holy Spirit falls on them in ways that can be observed. Tongues of fire settle above the heads of people that are praying. They begin to speak in other tongues. Maybe. There's a sound of rushing wind. So in other words, it's a sensory feast. Now I say maybe when it comes to tongues because not quite sure if the gift is the same as the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 because it sounds like it's almost as much a gift of hearing here as it is speaking. These people from all these other language groups are hearing people speak their own language. So maybe the miracle was in their ears as much as it was over here speaking. Maybe one person, uh, one Christian is speaking a language, one language, and three people who speak three other languages are hearing it all in their respective languages. All we know is there were amazingly miraculous things taking place that stopped everybody walking by in their tracks. And Peter begins to preach. And he preached, and he preached. Again, we talked about this last week. This is the guy who just weeks before had thrown Jesus under the bus, denied he even knew him. Now he's preaching this lights out sermon and they're, they're getting it, but not fully getting it. They're getting convicted. They're, they're getting the wrong that is true of their lives, but they're not quite sure what the right is what, that they need. And so they ask this question in verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And this is Peter's response. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. So now we have the peace of John's baptism showing up. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus is the means by which you are forgiven. Jesus is the name that takes away your sin. Jesus is the one upon whom you stand, dirty though you are, now clean. Now, make sure that we don't miss something here. Peter is not saying be baptized to be forgiven. 
It is the name of Jesus that is going to provide you with forgiveness of your sins. Now listen, people can be baptized and not be made right with God. One man had decided he's going to get baptized and, and uh, he'd come to the baptistry and uh, he made his profession of faith and the pastor put him down under the water and he got up out of the water and he looks to his wife and says, I hope you're satisfied. That's a man, I'm not sure, knows Jesus. Wrong reasons for being baptized. There, the tragic truth is if you go under the waters of baptism and you are not a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ... You were simply a condemned wet sinner. Wet doesn't do you any good if your heart has not been transformed by Christ. All baptism is, is this outer portrayal, an outer symbol of what God has done inside your life. Now, again, different other, other Christian groups view this differently. And so, for example... And the Roman Catholic Catechism reads like this. Through baptism, we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. So if you grew up in the Catholic Church, you got baptized, christened shortly after birth, uh, you would have been understood you are now in the, in the church and more importantly, you are in the family of faith. Now there's a confirmation time that comes later to kind of continue this path of growth and sanctification but their understanding is that baptism saves. We call this baptismal regeneration. Regenerated. Your life is regenerated by the waters of baptism. Methodists say, in the sacrament of holy baptism, we are given new birth through water and the spirit. So they would see new birth not as in a testimony of faith in Christ, trusting Christ completely for salvation, but rather the waters of baptism. Now, there is a verse in the Bible that can lead you there, and I want to take you to it for just a second. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. 1 Peter 3, 21. Now, Peter's having a discussion here about the, the flood, about Noah and the flood and how God brought the waters and destroyed all life on earth except what was in the boat, Noah and seven others of his family and two animals of every kind. And he says in verse 21, and that water, meaning the flood waters, Noah's day, and that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. And so our friends who think baptism saves go, ah, look at that. Doesn't that tell us that baptism saves? When I was pastoring in Michigan, I had a woman that I baptized one night. It was her fourth baptism. She'd been baptized as an infant. I forget if it was in the Catholic Church or Episcopal Church. Um, she'd been baptized another time, and then she had become part of the Church of, uh, the, the Church of Christ. Certain portions of the Church of Christ denomination um, believe in baptismal regeneration that you only are saved if you're baptized. So you can put faith in Jesus Christ, but if you're not baptized, you're not saved. And um, I ended up baptizing her for the fourth time because she had come to understand that baptism doesn't save. And now she wanted to be baptized because she chose to portray her inward faith rather than I want to be baptized because this, this saves me. This kind of verse, though, is, is, takes people to that conclusion 
that baptism is necessary for salvation. Now, let me continue the rest of the verse and try to make an argument for that not saying that. Peter goes on to say, that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body. Now, again, it seems to me if water is actually doing cleansing, this, um, this phrase would not be in here. He seems to try to be distancing um, himself from the idea that the water is, its cleans- is spiritually cleansing itself. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. And then he says it's effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you go up in verse 18, he makes it clear. He, here's what the gospel is to him. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners He died for sinners to bring you safely to God. And no mention in there about baptism being the means by which he is, uh, someone is saved. I think further evidence on this, let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to wrap up. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, I believe. And here Paul makes it, uh, uh, to me, abundantly clear. The issue um, for salvation is not baptism, but is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1, 17, the first part of the verse, Christ didn't send me to baptize. Now, if baptism was salvific, if it actually saved you, then he would be sent to baptize. Paul has just spoken about He's mentioned people's names, and he did baptize. I baptized this person. I baptized this person. I baptized this person. I didn't baptize anybody else that I can remember. In other words, it's not, it's not that high of a priority to him. Christ didn't send me to baptize. He didn't mean that I never baptized, but that's not my main gig. Christ sent me to preach the good news. And baptism in its own way preaches the good news. Every time someone goes under the water and shares their testimony of faith is a preaching of the good news. It's the first step in preaching the good news for the new convert. See, salvation is not due to the worth of water, but it is due to the worth of the Savior. Now, I know from past experience that that there are probably people in here who've been Christians a long time you've never been baptized. Or maybe you were baptized as an infant and you came to Christ later in life, never got baptized after that. And we think that uh, baptism is a portrayal of a personal response to the gospel. So obviously if you're eight days old or three days old and you're baptized, you can't yet have that response. You don't have the comprehension and ability to respond to the gospel. Let me just give a clarification here for those of you who might grown up in an in, in infant baptism uh, model. There's really nothing in Scripture that points to infant baptism with the possible exception of Acts chapter 16. And that's the story where Paul, you remember the earthquake, um, um, jail falls down around Paul's ears and they escape and Philippian jailer comes and he's terrified. He knows his life is going to be on the line of, assumes all the prisoners are going to escape. Earthquake or not, he's responsible for all the inmates and he's ready to kill himself because he figures that's what's going to happen to him anyway when Rome finds out. And Paul says, don't, don't kill yourself. We're all here. 
and that stopped this man in his tracks, and he wanted to listen to what they had to say. Why, why are all these inmates still here when they could have escaped? Paul shares the gospel with him, and he, he and his family come to Christ, and the Bible says he and his whole household were baptized. Now, in an infant baptism model, you read back into that, oh, there were certainly babies in there that were baptized as well, but we don't know that. It's an assumption. We don't know that, and we see no, no other picture through Scripture where babies are baptized. Now, the other link is Old Testament circumcision, where people think it's kind of a continuity from the covenant of the Old Testament to the New Covenant. This is just a different picture of this covenant. Um, we don't obviously have time to get into that this morning. I'm just saying I'm not persuaded by that. I'm not convinced by that. So here's my call to you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you put your faith in Jesus, you've never been baptized, now's the time to do it. Don't put it off any longer. It's in, meant to be this initial response to, of obedience to Jesus Christ, gratitude for having been saved. One of the things that's intrigued me over the years, I'm not quite sure, I still don't fully get it. I think there's some spiritual implications, but how many people are just wary about getting baptized? I, I've not drowned anybody yet, I, I swear. I haven't lost a person yet. Um, I, I, I'm sure part of the issue is being in front of people. I know that's 80% uh, of Americans are more terrified about being in front of people than any, anything else in life, including death. Uh, so that's probably an issue. Um, having to speak, you know, to say I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And, you know, we don't ask for long testimony. Sometimes it's 30 seconds. Sometimes it's three minutes. I, we just ask you to declare your allegiance to Christ and what he's done in your life. Um, so I don't know if that's the issue. But let me close with this challenge. If you've been a Christian, you know your way around the scriptures. You know a story from the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. And there was an army officer in the Aram, which is neighboring Palestine. And he had leprosy or had some sort of disease. He had a servant girl that he had um, captured on a raid into Israel. And uh, she was a follower of Yahweh. And... Um, and she was concerned about her master. She said, you should go to Israel, and there's a prophet there who can heal you. So long story short, he goes to Israel, he meets up with Elisha, and you remember what Elisha tells him to do? Go down the Jordan River. Now, if you've ever been to the Jordan River, it's really not a nice river. And apparently it wasn't a nice river back then. The headwaters are nice and clean, but when you get downstream, it gets ugly fast. And he says, I want you to go down the Jordan River. I want you to wash yourself, and you will be healed. And this was his response. Are you kidding me? Uh, Keith translation. Are you kidding me? We have much nicer, much cleaner rivers up, at, up near Damascus. Why can't I go get washed in, in one of them? And, and some of his military officers asked him this. They said, look, if the prophet had asked you something hard to do, wouldn't you have done it? If in order to be cleansed, he would ask you to, to take 10 men and raid a, an enemy outpost of 300 men, wouldn't you have done it? If you would, would have been asked to put on sackcloth, he, these are my examples, and walk through the streets and cry, unclean, unclean, wouldn't you have done it? You would be ready to do something difficult. 
why are you not ready to do something easy? And we make it easy for you here. We have a nice portable baptistry here in the, in the building. We don't go outside and break through the ice of the bay. The water's warm. We heat it up 24 hours ahead of time. You're among friends. Nobody's going nobody's to threaten you and kill you. Nobody's going to kick you out of the family. Well, I guess that's a possibility. But God has asked you in baptism really to do something for us in America that's pretty easy. Won't you do it? So we have a class on Saturday mornings, a half hour, 45 minute class to pre kind of prepare you for baptism, make sure we understand what it is and what it isn't. And we encourage you to sign up for that online um, or at the information center. And, uh, and then we're gonna have a baptismal celebration on March 17th. And if you've already been baptized, please come. Uh, for me, this is one of the highlights uh, of the church. I think it's meant to be one of the highlights, family getting together and rejoicing and people who have come to faith in Christ. And if you'd like to chat with me about baptism at all, I'd be glad to, glad to do that. Shoot me an email or we can sit down and talk. And uh, we'd love to, wouldn't it be great that night to have 20 people uh, professing Christ in the waters of baptism? Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful. Um, we're grateful for religious rites like this that um, convey spiritual realities, but we're mostly grateful for the spiritual reality. And we're grateful for a Savior who came and said, I'm, I'm all in for everyone. I don't care what your problem is. I don't care how deep your sin is. I don't care how obnoxious a person you are. I've come for you. I've come to live for you. I've come to die for you. I've come to be raised to life for you. I have come for you. Man, that's precious to me. Because I needed, needed him so desperately even when I didn't know it. And, and I pray, Father, for us, uh, not just in this matter of baptism, but in all of life, that we be men and women and boys and girls, day by day, 168 hours a week, declaring the praises of the matchless worth of Jesus Christ. No doubt this week there are going to be opportunities that we have to bring Jesus to the table in conversations. No doubt this week we're going to have an opportunity to um, be, give a lending hand to someone in the name of Jesus. No doubt this week we're going to have an opportunity um, to give somebody some money in the name of Jesus. No doubt this week we're going to have an opportunity to say no to sin in the name of Jesus. And we pray that in all these grand opportunities we would find the good news of Jesus Christ so satisfying that these responses are not done with difficulty but with great joy. In Jesus' name, amen.